Hello and welcome back to the Stadio podcast on Ringer FC. I'm Misa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Are you? There's something, something sinister entered your soul. <laughs> the eyes flitting left and right. <laughs> no, man. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. You seem different this week. I'm all right. You seem changed. <laughs> something changed me last a week. A disturbance, a disturbance. How are you? If I'm honest, I had a slightly difficult weekend. Uh, I was meant to see you and the great Dembo this week, but I didn't because I've been editing a book. And for anyone out there writing books, I want to reassure you that it never gets easier. And I'm saying that not to discourage people. I'm saying it because there are people out there who might think that like the craft of writing a book is some mystical, magical thing. It's not, it's just graft, it's work. Um, And like, frankly, if I can do it, anyone can do it. And I had a bit of a graft this weekend on it. So uh, I ended up actually having quite a dull weekend and the only turning point was bumping into my friend Zane and his wife, Sarah. Shout out to both of them. Zane's an avid listener to the podcast, also a Liverpool fan, so congratulations to him. And I bumped into Zane and Sarah on my first break from my desk at 4pm. And we ended up watching the German Cup final together, the men's final, which is really nice. Uh, the women's final I rewatched later, but that was obviously an outstanding game. We should probably start with those, I think. I mean, yeah, because it was a Pokal final tag in Germany on Saturday with the women's cup final yeah. starting earlier in the day. Yeah. The men's in the evening. Ultimately, the two dominant forces won out. Yeah. Both completing doubles. Wolfsburg beating Essen in the women's and obviously Bayern Munich beating Leverkusen in the men's. The women's final was wild. So Essen reaching their only their second ever cup final and taking the lead in what inside what was it 12 seconds yeah 12 yeah yeah Leia Schuler in her final game before she leaves for Bayern Munich putting Essen ahead and it was a hell of a game back and forth Essen were what 2-1 up for ages they could have got a third yeah could have got a third probably should have got a third actually and put the game to bed Wolfsburg went 3-2 up and then an amazing free kick in the last minute of stoppage time so yeah Leia Schuler took the lead in the first minute and Panila Harder, who was captain, equalised in the 22nd. Panila Harder's finish was so good. This entire year, she's been decisive. Like, at, at the moment, she's been most needed. Mm. They were only level for, what, seven minutes? Marina Hegering gave Essen the lead again and it looked like for a while that they were going to secure their first ever Pokal. I thought the game was really, really interesting. This is a Wolfsburg side that finished miles ahead of Essen in the league. And an Essen side that probably didn't quite hit the progression that they would have hoped for yeah. after last season. They pushed them the whole way. Dominic Janssen, ex-Arsenal, yeah. gave Wolfsburg the lead with five minutes to go. You kind of thought, all right, there you go. Normality yeah. has resumed. Yeah, for sure. But then Irini Iyanadu with a free kick in stoppage time, which was amazing. Although, Frederica Abs, she took one step to her left just as Iyanadu was kind of running up to it. And that was the difference, basically. Yeah, but also, I mean, a bit, I mean, who the hell am I to criticise professionals? It was like, and it's also hindsight, but from the view that Yanadu had of the goal, there was a path to the corner. And I wonder if the mm. wall was maybe not in quite the right position. And there's a lot of things that go on late in the game, like, you know, there's fatigue and the pace of that game as well. So I think it was literally just a bit of fatigue that the wall wasn't exactly in the right place. Yeah. Because she put a bit of curl on it. It did, you know, it didn't, it didn't do, it did move in the air. Apt will be disappointed. Obviously, she redeemed herself later, but she might be slightly disappointed with the position of the wall as well as her mm. movement before the free kick. And then um, Wolfsburg ended up winning it on penalties 
Wolfsburg securing another double. The sad thing as well was just watching the devastation of Essen because to Wolfsburg, it's just another cup. They've won six in a row, right? It's just another, it's not just another cup. I know it matters to them, but just seeing the devastation of the Essen players, it is always an, it's always a reminder of the grim inequality of these leagues. Like when, you know, Man City beat Watford 6-0 and you're like, it's everything to Watford to get to a cup final and to City mm-hmm. it's just another cup. And I, I still do find it a bit jarring. Yeah, I mean, also that Essen side is kind of getting broken up. Like Lena Oberdorf is going to Wolfsburg. Yeah. Leia Schuler is going to Bayern. I think a couple of others are on the move as well. I mean, that's what, Wolfsburg's fourth double in a row. They're fifth in the last eight years. Goodness me. And they've won seven pokeouts out of the last eight. So they are the dominant force in that. You made a great point, I think, a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about the consolidation of women's teams. Mm. And actually, I, re- I really hope those consolidated teams prove a strong threat next year. Yeah, I mean, basically now, Wolfsburg are going for another treble. It'd be their second treble. But we had a question from Jess Malone, soccer sabbatical, because there's a few announcements in Germany about women's side. So basically she said, with last week's announcements that Hertha Berlin will be financially supporting Turbina Potsdam and Schalke are starting a women's club. How crucial is it that Dortmund now follow suit? Also, can Wolfsburg do the treble? I mean, they can, potentially. I'm not too sure if they will. That Champions League is really, really tough. Yeah. But yeah, so basically Hertha last week announced a partnership with Turbina Potsdam, who, for those who don't know, like the geography of Berlin, Potsdam is basically on the outskirts of Berlin. Yeah. It's about half an hour by car from the Olympiastadion and Hertha haven't had a women's side. I think this makes a lot of sense for Hertha and it also makes a lot of sense for Turbina Potsdam because you have these two women's sides in the Frauen Bundesliga, Turbina Potsdam and Frankfurt, who were, who were historically the, the dominant forces before Bayern, Hoffenheim and, well, Bayern and, and, and Wolfsburg really ploughed a load of resources into their women's side. Hoffenheim have overtaken them as well in, the, in recent years, well, this season specifically. I think it's a smart move. FFC are going to become Eintracht. For international marketing purposes, I think it's great. Now that they're Eintracht women, they won't be that outlier. They'll get more of the resources. I, when they won the Champions League in was it 2015, mm. I think it's PSG, one thing that slightly frustrated me was they didn't get the kind of the full push of an umbrella organisation. You see mm. it in basketball, like with Real Madrid, the men's team, the basketball team and the football team are all part of the same universe. Well, it's a club. Yeah, exactly. But it really, it really, really, it bolsters everyone instead of having a kind of, oh, Madrid youth or whatever. Like it, it just feels like a unified front. Um, so to that extent, I like it. It's always a shame because SFC's name is on that trophy and they feel something sad about the fact that couldn't endure. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a shame that they couldn't do a similar thing to what Hertha have done with Turbina Potsdam and that is to essentially partner up in the same way that it would be if Turbina became Hertha. Yeah. But to prolong that kind of history. Yeah. It's a shame that they couldn't do that with FFC. You know, they could rebrand them maybe or give them the same kits as Eintracht and just put them as FFC. Yeah. Do it that way. But maybe there's a legal issue there. I'm not too sure. But I think, yeah, the pressure is on Dortmund now. Um, After Schalke announced that they're going to be having a women's side and they're going to start in the Kreisliga and work their way up very organically. It's part of a massive restructuring going on at Schalke in general, which maybe we'll touch on another time. Yeah, I think there is a pressure on Dortmund to form a women's side. It's something that you've seen 
you've seen banners in in the Sioux Tribune from ultras saying, you know, it's time for a women's team. You know, why don't we have a women's team? Mm. And I think that it would make the league super interesting. The way that players tend to go at the moment is, you know, they will come up somewhere and then they will either go abroad and then come back to Bayern or Wolfsburg or, like I said before, Leia Schuler from Essen to Bayern or Lena Oberdorf from um, from Essen to Wolfsburg. If you had a someone like Dortmund in there as another powerhouse, if you like, plus the added investment for Turbina Potsdam from Hertha, who have obviously got huge investment at the moment anyway, maybe it brings the whole level of the league up. Yeah. The only problem I can see is that obviously Essen are really close geographically and are a standalone women's club. So I do wonder how it would impact on them. Schalke are just down the road and I think maybe there could have been something there that they could have teamed up with Essen. But I don't know whether Essen would have wanted that or whether they want to stay fully independent or whatever. But I think the next few years in Germany are going to be really interesting for the Frauenbundesliga. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Wolfsburg's dominance eventually come to an end at some point with the way that the league becomes more competitive. They have less walkover wins. You never know how the, the accumulative effect of that might roll out, you know? It'd be better for women's team, women's football generally, actually. It's always better when there's yeah, more I mean, competition. Better yeah, for Europe. raise the whole level... Yeah. As opposed to have it consolidated in a few teams. Uh, speaking of consolidating in a few teams, let's go to the men's final where Bayern secured yeah. another double. Back-to-back doubles. It's always the thing, isn't it? In a, in a match like this, you have to avoid considering the early goal. Or do you though, in Wolfsburg's case? It doesn't <laughs> matter. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you know, with, with Bayern, right? You know, with Bayern, if you kind of let Bayern get the sniff, they end up almost inevitably crushing you. And Alaba scored Beautiful free kick. It's the first, I think it's one of the first free kicks in a German Cup final for about, for almost 20 years. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's wild stat like that. So Alaba scores a beauty. Uh, Kimmich combines with Gnabry for 2-0. Absolute howler for Bayern's third. Yeah, and it came after that absolutely atrocious Kevin Volland miss at the other end. It was like in the space of like 70 seconds, I think it was, or a minute and a half. Was it Harvard's cut the ball across to Kevin Volland, who just had a side foot in? completely missed the ball and then Lewandowski hits a pot shot from what 30 yards 35 yards and Lucas Radecki palms it down it bounces up it hits him and then goes in you know it's, it's funny when, when you see the footage of the losing players you realise how devastating it is because the, these are teams that don't get here often this might be the only time they get to a cup final mm. you make a mistake like that which is a defining mistake and on the way to the cup final you know Fredeki has bailed his team out. And oh, to get to this he's been yeah. he's been on the whole absolutely brilliant this season. And it happens so often to players that don't deserve this kind of humiliation. Yeah, but I don't think his error cost them in the game. That was 3-0. No, it, it it didn't, but he will take it away. It could have bounced anywhere. It was it was so unlucky, I think. But the Folland one forehand. I'm gonna be quite harsh here and say this. There was a goal that um Gabriel Jesus missed against Southampton. And it was actually driven across goal quite fast and he missed it. But I remember thinking, yeah, but you were signed to score the goals mm-hmm. that look easier than they are. I'm sure that ball came across goals so quickly that actually it was actually harder to finish than we think. Like it was faster. But the really harsh thing I'll say here is that's what elite players cushion at those times. Mm. And when you look at like a game like that, like Leverkusen, he would have known that they'd get very few chances. And when you know you're going to get very few chances, you snatch at them. Because you're like, it's, not, it's, it's weird, it's really cruel. There's a, there's a great Simon Barnes quote, the great sports writer, and he said, sometimes professional golfers miss putts, not because they don't want it enough, but because they want it too much. 
Mm. And it's really, really hard to be a forward against a team like Bayern who give you very, very little to get a chance like that and not snatch at it and not lose your composure and not be like calm as if 10 of those will come along. So I have a lot of sympathy for, for those apparently open goals. Yeah. We had a couple of questions regarding this game. So we we had quite a few questions for today. So we're going to try and drop them in when we talk about them. But Ed Griffin said, Ballon d'Or race perhaps the most open for years. Who do you think will win? Is it Lewandowski's year? That's a good shout, to be honest. Look how he bailed out Bayern in the first part of that season. If he'd been injured, Bayern would have been, they could have been sixth. Easily. Bayern's attack was so dysfunctional at the start of this season that Lewandowski was doing work from 30 yards out. Mm. Like, if you look at his goals over the course of the season, they've evolved from being individual finishes to more cent- to conventional centre-forward finishes to a certain extent. At the start of the season, he was basically like beating two, three men and getting into position. And if you look at Bayern now in Europe, at this point, they're the favourites of the Champions League just because of how they played the last half. So he's been brilliant in Europe and in the Bundesliga. I mean, he scored 50 goals with the, in all competitions this season. And he said afterwards that he's always going to improve. He's always looking to improve. So if he gets any better, I mean... I think he's the front runner. He's a really strange, how do I say it? Like kind of type of forward. Because he genuinely seems to be getting better and sharper with age. And he's got miles on the clock, remember. You know, he was playing first team football at what, 15, 16 years old in Poland. Right. His physical condition is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. He's like LeBron James. Like his attitude to his conditioning is, like LeBron James just spends time on conditioning. Like it's like mm. a completely separate, forget the technical stuff, just the physical side. And um, so I think Lewandowski's wife is actually a former Olympic gymnast. And so she gave him a routine for his body and a full workout, like separate to everything else. And you can see like his physical, it's, you know, Lewandowski is a bit like the time when Formula One drivers started training as if they were almost boxers. You know, when they've got like a body, they're, they're, you're, you're, you're a professional athlete who does a sport like driving, but you've actually got a body that would make you compete well in a, in a different sport altogether. And Lewandowski's like that. He's like a kind of martial arts expert who happens to play football. Well, it's funny you say that because Anna Lewandowska, his wife, won the bronze medal at the 2009 Karate World Cup. That's what it was. Okay, right. So his body, he's basically doing routines that she's prepared for him. Yeah. That's amazing. What a cool couple they are. I know, right? So cool. The things they must talk about, like movement and angles and balance and body positioning. And also, you wouldn't fuck with them either because they... I mean, yeah, like really. You could add a sound effect there. <laughs> uh, speaking of people you wouldn't fuck with, let's go to the uh, let's go to the Premier League. Bearded, capped Ralph Hasenhutl. He he looks mean, and he looks like he means business. They were down Southampton. Can can we actually like Southampton were going down? Well, I mean, this is the official Ralph Hasenhutl Berlin fan club. You and me. I mean, you 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 were hip to him. In depth, it's astonishing. Like now they're going to, it's going to be a procession to the end of the season. And they were gone before he arrived. They were gone. There have been some tough moments and they looked like there had been some moments where his ideas weren't really coming through or maybe that he didn't have the players for it. As those of you know, one of my best mates, Rob, Southampton Rob to this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Obviously a Southampton fan. Uh, He was very perplexed that they didn't back him in the transfer window to the to the level that he deserves to be backed. 
However, I think he's really starting to instill his philosophy throughout the whole club at Southampton. And they they seem to impress in very different ways. I thought Man City were actually really good on the weekend. A little bit wasteful. They had that bit of luck at the... Southampton had that bit of luck at the end of the first half where there were a couple of saves, a couple of post hits. Yeah. And when they, but when they got out of that unscathed, I kind of thought, uh, it's going to be one of those. You know, City are going to end up with 70% possession or something like that. And Southampton are going to scrape this. But they never, apart from that moment at the end of the first half, they were never really clinging on. They still played football. They still had outlets. Bernardo Silva said at the beginning, we're used to playing against sides that defend really deep against us. And they came and pressed us straight away. And it was a bit weird. That's what's always cracked Guardiola in the Premier League. The, the teams that have generally beaten him have gone toe to toe with him mm. and it requires incredible physical exertion to be honest that's actually the story of Guardiola's career you look at like I was looking at an old game from 2011 and it was um, Bilbao against Guardiola's Barcelona and Athletic just came and went like mm. nose to nose which is really gutsy it's, and it, it requires an unbelievable amount of coaching and also frankly a bit of luck and as I mentioned before Gabriel Jesus missed a really good chance but then it also shows the brilliance of Kevin De Bruyne because De Bruyne is one of the few City players who truly gets them out of jail. You could say like De Bruyne, Aguero and Riyad Mahrez in that order just because Mahrez is such an incredible individual talent in isolation. But it really shows you that when a key player is missing for City, you can kind of drag them down. And there was a thing when Guardiola was saying, oh, like, I don't know why we've lost so many games this season. Well, I think Pep is being slightly disingenuous there. I think he does know. Pep. Musa Kwonga called it at the beginning of the season. Yeah. If you attack him straight down the middle. And here's the problem with Manchester City. And this is why I think they're going to come back and be ferocious next season. Guardiola is very headstrong. He has his way of doing things. So when you say, oh, the fullbacks aren't good enough to play the game you want, he doesn't buy new fullbacks, then it implodes, then he buys new fullbacks. You say the centre-backs aren't good enough and that triangle between defence midfield and centre-backs isn't going to work. He doesn't listen. He thinks they're good enough. They're not good enough. He goes and buys. So I think that actually Man City's backlash next year will be ferocious. And if Liverpool don't strengthen, City are good money to do that again. They're good money, they're good money to win again. Like Liverpool really have to add someone in midfield, I think. They have to add someone. Well, they may be because there are heavy rumours about Thiago Alcantara going to Liverpool. So if they get him, he's scary. I mean, it offers them another dimension that they just don't have. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a massive mistake for Bayern to let him go, if they I do agree. let him go. And an unbelievable signing for Liverpool. It's just a piece that comes with being stable, consistently challenging. They're just super attractive to go to now. I think they're the most attractive proposition in the Premier League. Now, and I think a couple of years ago, even even with Klopp there, I think that was Spurs, weirdly. I think Spurs were looking like, do you know what? You go to London, you play for Spurs, you got Poch, you move into a new stadium. Things seem to be really, really going on in a, in a good direction. And you look at how different those paths have gone. I couldn't imagine a world a couple of years ago where, honestly, I say, I say this now, a couple of years ago, there was a point where I was like, I cannot see Spurs not being in the top three for like the next five years. Moving to the new stadium, Poch taking them to the Champions League final. This is the thing. You look at Spurs now, who got sort of 
blown away by Sheffield United or swatted aside really. And you think just because he wouldn't give him the money for the revamp that he said he needed, he needed a revamp and he was at the crest of his recruitment and he was doing such great work. And there was all this muttering, there's always muttering after a while, like, oh, like he's lost the players. He's not as close as he was. People always say that stuff when results don't go their way because they start covering their backs. But Pochettino identified flaws years ago and all Spurs had to do was back him. And it's so bizarre because it's a self-inflicted wound. Mm. They'll look at this as a generational failure. It's like when, was it St. Mirren sacked Sir Alex Ferguson? And everyone was like, what the hell are you doing? It's Alex Ferguson. And obviously like, you know, Spurs are a far bigger club, but like in terms of Spurs' trajectory, this could have put Spurs like in European contention. Spurs could have been a Champions League club, as you say, for years. They had a chance to do what Deportivo didn't. Like really establish themselves. They could have become like Atleti. You know, like you say, a permanent third. It's just so frustrating, actually, Ryan. And if I think about it too much, I get a bit angry because, not that I get angry about that many things in football, but this is one of the things that makes me annoyed because Spurs did it the right way. We talk about clubs doing things the right way. Daniel Levy's ego, I think, cost him ultimately and and maybe some more stuff within the club. Obviously, we're not Spurs experts and there will be some people who know a lot more about the club. Ego took over ultimately because Dan, we, we mentioned it at the time when Poch went and Mourinho came in that Levy has always wanted Spurs to be a club that could have Mourinho as manager. Yeah. But unfortunately, the time that they've got him was when the two trends were going in opposite directions. Spurs were on the up in terms of the size of the club and the profile of the club and Mourinho was on the way down. And I think you've seen that and now Mourinho has already ended up in third season Mourinho mode after seven, seven months. months. Yeah. And with seven months with a three-month gap. You know, Spurs are 10th now. They play ten, we're, we're recording this ahead of Spurs' evidence. They might bounce back with a massive 5-0 win and bump themselves back up to eighth in the table. But I think it's a real shame for Spurs because they had all the tools. They were ready to go. Everything was there. He was so good, Pochettino, that he can make talent. He can make, well, not, not make talent, but he can bring genius from anywhere. When you've got someone who's that good at developing players, they sold Kyle Walker and it was no big deal. That is, un, like, we're going to look back at what Pochettino did at Spurs. Obviously, we already appreciate it, but really appreciate it. When we look at the quality of players or the quality got out of players. Yeah. Unbelievable. Actually, shout out as well. While, while, while I'm here, shout out to Everton as well, just because I just really love the job Ancelotti is doing there. Oh, yeah. Everyone's second club again. It's just so lovely what he's doing there. Yeah. Before we move on, uh, who knew that it was actually Kieran Trippier was the key piece to holding up the Spurs <laughs> yeah. legacy? Who knew? <laughs> uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll be back. All right, we're back from the break. Before we go to the rest of the Premier League, we're going to do a couple of quick, fun questions. Yeah. A certain intellectual on Twitter, or actually, sorry, certain intellectual Oh, that's PhD, her. She's, she's doing a PhD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Says, what do you all wear in the summer since we know so much about your cardigan slash big roll neck preferences slash energies? Very short shorts. <laughs> I'm, relu- I'm reluctant to disclose at this point. I'm, I'm reluctant. I feel like we gave so much of ourselves in relation to fashion earlier. I want to hold something back. 
Yeah, and also we're kind of new on the Ringer FC feed here. And I want them to get to know us properly before we Disclose. start talking too much sartorial nonsense. For those who weren't aware of us before we joined the Ringer FC feed, a casual roll neck comment from Musa in October snowboarned very much like Brexit into something <laughs> that ended up in a Twitter referendum between Cardigans and Rolnex. Obviously, Rolnex won, but then again, Brexit won. So <laughs> I'm comfortable being on the right side of history. We only got away with that because people weren't really paying attention. How the hell we got away with that? Yeah, yeah that's it, I think. We were okay. under the radar and it was like, you know, that's literally it. We were just flying too close to the ground and they couldn't actually, see us. Actually, I, I've, been, I've been silly. So just to be honest about what I'm wearing at the moment, so the moment I've been wearing a lot of, because here in Berlin, it's this weird combination of, well, at least the last couple of weeks, really hot, but a little bit humid. So I've been walking around wearing like these quite baggy, like black shorts, my red Cruyff trainers. I love my Cruyffs. And then I'd be Alan Iverson, like putting the socks up a bit higher. I love that sort of the slightly higher socks. Yeah, I'm trying to think what I, last time I went outside in, I was wearing a, uh, I was wearing a Trojan Records t-shirt and some Navy shorts that weren't quite short shorts, but they're not long shorts. And um, yeah, I think that was it. I was wearing some grey engineer garments, New Balance. Oh, New Balance. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Another quick question before we move on. This one's from Laurie Laker. What are your favourite books, football or other sport related? He said, also, Stadio Book Club, let's do this. Yeah, let's maybe do this at some point. Okay, recent favourite. I'm biased, but it's Mensch by Jonathan Harding. I think it's actually a really important book. So it's a football book which looks at the importance of developing players, not just as footballers, but as, pe- but as people. Um, and that's a really great read. And I was surprised by how quickly I got through it. I thought it'd be like, it's like 200. 30, 40 pages, and it feels like about 100, 100 120. Like a Vonnegut so novel. Yes, no, no absolutely. That's a, that's a great piece of work. Um, there's also a great memoir. It's a swimming memoir about the lakes in Berlin called Turning by Jessica J. Lee, which ah. is basically, about, yeah, so Jessica basically, it's, it's a nature slash sport slash swimming memoir. Jessica basically swims around Berlin in the sort of 50 odd lakes that surround Berlin in really cold conditions. And the process of swimming discovers herself um, and looks back into her past. So it's about memoir. It's about swimming. So yeah, those two, I would say, are the, the picks at the moment for me. My favorite sports book is actually one of my all-time favorite books as well. And it's not really a, it's not a deep cut. It's um, Fear and Loathing in La Liga by Sid, Sid Lowe. It's one of my all-time favorite books. Just um, the history of Barcelona and Real Madrid very, very deep historical context. Uh, It's that kind of sweet spot of, you know, European history, football, and just Sid being Sid. I mention him more than any other writer when it comes to football writing, just because he has range. He has the full range of like technical, artistic, comedic. Oh, he's a Hall of Famer, man. Yeah, he is. He is. Sid's a Hall of Famer. Let's move on to the rest of the Premier League because your beloved Manchester United, Musa, are looking good. Scared to talk about it, frankly. Yeah, they went a goal down to Bournemouth and then they were 5-2 up within an hour. Yeah. Like they came back and absolutely battered Bournemouth. And the thing about them that's interesting is that so Bruno Fernandes 
has been balling out. Mason Greenwood has been superb. And there's talk now, if you look at the front line and how fluid it is, there's talk now that that front six has really been unlocked. Um, Greenwood, Martial, Rashford looks superb. And the thing about it is so interesting now is that they're all scoring quite freely. And there was a time, many United fans remember this, where Martial and Rashford had really, really bad conversion rates for finishing. That wasn't because they were playing badly, it's because they were getting, again, so few chances that they were snatching at them. But now that this team regularly creates opportunities, you see them relax because they know that more chances will come along. And all of a sudden, United have got one of the quickest attacks in Europe. Like that's absolute Greenwood, Rashford, Martial is absolutely rapid. And there you were trying to tempt Kylian Mbappe to Old Trafford on Twitter the other week. I'm still trying to tempt him. But no, I'm still you don't need him. You don't need him. You've, no, got, you've, th- got, you've, whoa, got, you've got, you've got, you've got, you've got Mason wait, Greenwood. Well, wait a minute. You've got all sorts of Arsenal. Why can't I have some fun as well? Uh, well, we can get onto this in a bit because there's a myth about Arsenal and what they actually need is goals at the moment. So anyway, we're talking about Manchester United. Okay. So, yeah. So I want to talk about Mason Greenwood because we had a question from Neve Dunphy mm. who said, what heights do you expect Mason Greenwood to hit? Overtake Wayne Rooney as Manchester United top goal scorer? Question mark. Ballon d'Or. He looks like a player who is already close to being fully formed, weirdly. Like the way he strikes the ball. Yes. Do you know what he reminds me of? Do you remember where Peak Torres yeah. used to have a body shape that made you think there's no way he's going to get a shot away here? Yeah. He'd not only get a shot away, but he'd get a shot away with such ferocity that you had no idea how he could have generated that. I see that in Mason Greenwood, actually. I see that that Torres element of doesn't matter where I am. It's like you're looking at a basketball analogy. It doesn't matter where you are. You can shoot. You can get a shot off anywhere. That I think is super dangerous. I mean, that front three is already, what? They've scored more goals this season in the league than Liverpool's front three. Considering they haven't had a fully formed attack for the entire season. Greenwood's strike rate is comparable to that of Sergio Aguero. I think Daniel Harris, Mm. shout out to Daniel Harris, tweeted a, a graphic about this. Mason Greenwood's conversion rate is, is, ex- is exceptional, actually. Um, and what's impressive about him as well is that he creates his own opportunities. And when you've got a player who can do that, of course, it's even more dangerous. You don't need a supply. So it liberates people like Pogba. There's no coincidence that Pogba's been playing a sort of a quieter role than Fernandez. Fernandez is kind of the, funny enough, almost a senior creative partner in that. Mm. It, of those two eights, I mean, Pogba slightly deeper and Pogba enjoys being a player that's moving the ball on, you know, that's keeping the tempo high, but not necessarily adding the attacking flourishes. And I think he really loves that role. Mm. And Fernandez is kind of, you know, Fernandez is a, actually past completion rate is a bit lower. He's actually more of a risk taker. And it's funny how Pogba has basically gone, okay, you go and like throw a few fireworks and I'll just be here and maintain the forms. Mm. So it's a really nice balance to the United's team at the moment. I think they need to invest in a defender. And I think actually this is a time to invest in a defender who's really comfortable playing a high line. So someone really fast, because if you get a quick defender, who can basically track back. Then you allow United to be as close to the opposition goal as possible. I still think another defense midfield is necessary. Who can kind of do a bit of attacking too. 
I always liked Hector Herrera, who's now at Atleti. I don't know how he got there so so cheaply or so quickly. Um, but yeah, another centre back. Arsenal really impressive over Wolves two 0 away. Uh, yep, they got absolutely hammered there last season. Posted a tweet just saying, "Was that Arsenal going two 0 up and then shutting the game down with some tidy defending and a little bit of nastiness?" And uh, the video of Pop just saying, "I want more nasty." Which I do. I think as an Arsenal fan, I want, I want, I want to see more nasty Musa. Maybe I should uh, go right you know around nasty, for that. You know what's nasty? Lacazette's first touch before his finish. Like when that ball got driven in by Nketiah, I remember thinking to myself, that defender is now angry at themselves because they've catered. They will know. They'll be like, I gave Lacazette exactly what he wanted. Like when you see the move that he pulls off, he cuts across the defender with the first touch and finishes in the corner. That defender's literally thinking, I'm already dead. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you've given an elite player exactly the look at goal that they want. Mm. And Lacazette, eight yards from goal, turning onto a ball on his favoured foot. It's never, there's, there's almost no defender that's going to stop you there. Mm. Kaya Saka with a lovely goal. Yeah, After he got a, a week that he signed his contract at Arsenal, strike, which is a big, strike. big, big, big signature for Arsenal that I think keeping hold of Saka for a few years. But yeah, Arsenal, super impressive. Three on the bounce now in the league for Arsenal, plus one in the cup. In the words of no one else apart from Arsenal fans, you love to see it. You love to see it. <laughs> Chelsea were impressive over Watford, 1-3-0, bouncing back from that disappointing defeat to West Ham in midweek. We're going to swerve La Liga this week, but Barca were impressive. They beat Villarreal 4-1. Some lovely goals in this game. The Griezmann one reminded me a little bit of Messi's against Betis actually last season Jumba I only wish it had been Paolo Lopez in goal I know well he <laughs> got done with a nutmeg in the Napoli-Roma game in Serie A so he was still having a lovely time <laughs> Moose's agenda against Paolo Lopez is sorry it's sometimes it, I'm not going to lie listeners it's a little bit uncomfortable sometimes. sorry it's just, just that when like, he was what is your beef with Paolo Lopez man just let him be let him was, live he was back chatting Messi against Espanyol and then Messi <laughs> buried him yeah, he's been paying for it forever <laughs> yeah Sid Lowe wrote a tweet about this, which completely sums up Barcelona. I'm paraphrasing, but it was basically like, when you see Barcelona do this and they can do this and they will do this at various points throughout the season, it's so frustrating to see how they've thrown it away this season. But then at the same time, it's like amazing that they can still do this despite or in spite of all the mismanagement at board level. So they're just like this uh, of a club at the moment. That's what their official headline should be. Instead of Mesco and club, it should just be uh, of a club. <laughs> yeah, the, the club badge should be the scream, Edvard yeah. Munch. <laughs> uh, they look great against Villarreal and I thought that was going to be a tricky game for them. You sent me a great message. You said um, Santi Gazzola could 100% do a, a year at Barca. Well, I was looking at this Barcelona midfield and I know this is a little bit, it's really easy to throw takes out like that. So maybe I should, you know, watch it. but. I kind of thought it would work. I of course, think. It, I'm not, of course I, it would. And, and even if he's not playing regularly, the thing that Cazorla is absolutely amazing at is linking defence and attack at lightning speed if you want him to. Yeah. Two touches and you've progressed 40 yards up the pitch. The last thing Barcelona need is another player in their mid-30s, but I think they could do a hell of a lot worse than pick up Santi Cazorla on a free transfer for a year. Genuinely, especially with the current predicament they find themselves in, in terms of finances. I mean, obviously they've got Pjanic coming in. Yeah. But still... Do you know what's funny? Do you know what's funny about this? There's almost a symmetry. So Pjanic, basically, if they play him further forward, because he did play a bit deeper lying for Juve, if Pjanic plays further forward, 
that could be a masterstroke, actually. Because what, bring Kozola in. Well, no, 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 not not because they've got Pjanic <laughs> already, but but Pjanic playing further forward for Barca. Because what have we got? We've got Liverpool, right? Liverpool are going to need to strengthen in midfield. So they're going to get someone like Thiago that hammers the ball into feet and breaks lines. And I said, I mentioned this to you before, I was thinking about Coutinho going to Hertha as someone to kind of, I don't know if they can quite afford a player like that, but some, when you've got a front three that's really mobile, the link is the hardest thing. That link player, which feels like a luxury because we've always got three players that are doing great work. But I'm just thinking about how it'll be really interesting to watch those three clubs, Hertha, Liverpool, and Barca next season and see how they can get the ball into the feet of their play, of, their, of, their, of their front three. Can we just uh, take a moment to acknowledge how wild that sentence was? <laughs> what, because they're like, so they're so different in terms of quality. So, <laughs> these are things I think about. It's going to be really interesting that season to see how Hertha, Liverpool and Barcelona get the ball into move feet. the ball and get the ball into feet up front. Like Lars Vindhorst is sat there being like, We've made, we've made it, lads. We've made it. We've study made podcast. It. You've been listening to the studio. We're in the same conversation as Liverpool and Barcelona. Good <laughs> Lord. But All you know, it like, took was 300 million euros and uh, some big city ambition. But I'm just thinking about the link player. Like, look at Bruno Fernandes, right? He brought that front three to life. And until Fernandes came along, it's a really weird thing having an incredible front three like mm. United have got. It's almost a curse because they're not that defensively gifted. Um. And their best work is always done in the final third. And that elusive player takes years to find. It almost feels mm. like that player's got a bit of a rebirth at the moment. I don't know. Maybe. Quickly to Serie A. Can I give an apology? Depends who too. Uh, to all listeners of Stadia, because I always say, always watch Atalanta. <laughs> and if this week, this week, if you watched them, <laughs> you didn't even see them score from open play. Hey, still scored three though. Three in two games. Yeah, that's true. Beat Napoli 2-0 on, what, Thursday night? Yeah. And beat Cagliari 1-0 away. Good result because Bologna beat Inter 2-0, uh, 2-1 in San Siro. Despite being down to 10 men, Inter then went down to 10 men. But that was actually a really, really interesting game. Samp won again. They beat Spal 3-0. And the results of the weekend have made it super interesting. So Atalanta are now only a point behind Inter, who are four points behind Lazio. So Inter and Lazio are both losing on the weekend. Atalanta are on one of the best runs of form. They have won 10 in a row in all comps, 11 of their last 12 since they uh, lost to Spal. And 80-odd goals in Serie A. This is why you should watch Atalanta. You should. You should, you should. watch Atalanta. Uh, 83 goals, 39 conceded. The best goal difference in the league. And that's not that bad a defensive record considering the way they play. Like consider no, they made no. that. It's not that. Actually, yeah. to be honest, in terms of it's a sort of above average defensive record mm. in in that division. Definitely. Uh, let's quickly whiz to the NWSL Challenge Cup. We're going to cover this more later in the week, maybe. But um, yep. game of the week. I really enjoyed Portland Thorns Washington Spirit. Lindsay Horan was balling out. She was, but she wasn't balling out as much as Ashley Sanchez, who <laughs> that <laughs> flick from the corner for the equaliser for Samantha Stubb was unbelievable the brilliance of that flick was it was like get the ball into a danger zone mm -hmm. cushion it it wasn't just the kind of like oh just hat hit and hope it was like cushioned into an area where someone could attack it at pace it was sick it was, it was so good un yeah unbelievable took all the speed and all the spin off it and just put it on a plate it was amazing 
Glorious header as well. Some great headers this week. Was was it the second one in the Houston Dash game? Sure, Groom. Yeah. The, the Groom one, you don't, until the replay, I didn't clock how great the header was. It's the hang time. Yeah. It's the hang time. And didn't and she like, do the, didn't she do the uh, flying celebration as well? <laughs> was that Shea Groom who did that? I don't remember. I can't remember that. if it was Shea Groom who did it, but. Uh, She's been great all tournament, actually. The tournament is heating up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, some sides are still set to play their third game, but North Carolina Courage, Miles out in front, nine points. Houston Dash, Utah Rolls, Washington Spirit all on four. Portland Thorns uh, on two points. Sky Blue FC on one. OL Rain on one. Chicago Red Stars on one. Although I have a bone to pick. Pick away. I'm going to be that straight white guy complaining about women's football. Are you ready, Musa? <laughs> Go on. However, my complaint is nothing to do with the game itself. Of course it's not. Of course it's not. What the hell were they thinking putting the camera on that side of the stadium for the night games? Can't see anything for the first half because of the glare. Couldn't no, see a no. thing. Could not see a thing. Had to watch a football game on TV with sunglasses on for 15 minutes. <laughs> that's not sub that is suboptimal <laughs> that is sub-optimal. I was like I, I kind of feel like guys I think someone ow <laughs> so angry and banging the table let me tell you let me tell you someone needs to get fired because of this <laughs> you would have thought that someone would have maybe clocked that I don't know just I'm not an expert so maybe I should stop talking but, you know, Kanye's not an expert. He's running for president. So, That's, oh, Wow, the bar, <laughs> the bar is in the gutter. All right, let's get out of here because we've been going on for a little while. There's so much football at the moment. I can't, I, 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 as part of me kind of can't wait for the leagues to start slowing down bit by bit. No. Now the Bundesliga's done, although it's not technically done because the second leg of the playoff is tonight. We're recording this Monday morning. Heidenheim at home against Werder Bremen. Uh, it's 830 German time, which I imagine is what twelve thirty? No, it's not. Two thirty Eastern time. Heidenheim uh, got a great draw. Yeah, um, so could be big, could be big. But also, then after that game, Sevilla, Abar in La Liga, and you've also got Spurs, Everton as well. Big game, big big night of football. Head football's been coming back, so it's hard to like obviously get everything into this podcast at the moment, but also like. There's so much up for grabs in such a short space of time mm. that it feels very compressed. We've got, you know, we've got the, got the NWSL Challenge Cup and we've got Champions League next month. MLS to return. Well, maybe. And it's all going to be resolved fast. Yeah. Do you know what it feels like? All right. I went on a holiday when I was a kid, right? And I think it was a McDonald's playground thing. We went for a McDonald's and they had a ball pool. Amazing. But I couldn't get out. So I was too little. Oh my God. I was basically like drowning in the ball pool, but that's me now. And every ball is a fixture. That is such a good analogy. And I'm just a bit like, football, football, uh, help, help, help. <laughs> I know the feeling exactly. I know the feeling exactly. Um, well, let's play out. Oh, I love this tune. So it's a cover of ELO Showdown by the amazing Space Lady. If you don't know about Space Lady, head to the Night School website. This got reissued on Night School Records out of Glasgow. I think maybe seven or eight years ago Busker back in the day used to do cover versions and there's uh, the Space Lady's Greatest Hits record this is taken from which has got some really amazing cover versions on we're going to play out on this we're going to be back on Thursday check us out on Twitter at Stadio Stadio Football on Instagram Stadio.Football is our website make sure you check the ringer.com forward slash soccer anything else we need to plug? I think we're good actually 
All we can plug is the continued health and happiness of our listeners. Oh, it creeps me out so much when you say that. That's why I do it. Take care, everyone. Take care. We'll be back on Thursday. <laughs> So Musa, you know last week how I did that Kylo Ren impression? I'm aware it was terrifying. <laughs> now I've figured out the voice for the pull to the dark side. Oh my God. Oh my God. Hang on. So much so that... I feel like my transformation to Layla Ren is complete. <laughs> So whenever I come out with a mischievous take now, I shall dawn the Rilo Ren helmet. <laughs> <laughs>